0: Now, this summer, we've been learning about the subject of trust, Uh, specifically that kind of process in which a person grows day by day to have faith, to put her faith in God in concrete ways that are related to the things that she is facing, Trust is a theme that when most of us think of, we imagine something like that feeling that you have in your heart around some people who you find it easy to put confidence in. You know what that feels like when you say, yeah, I trust that person. I can rely on them. They, they do what they say. And maybe you know the opposite experience where you don't have trust in that other person because around them you're pretty sure it's not a good idea to count on them because you can feel it in here. You know that experience too? Now, when we talk about trust as a part of faith, we actually mean more than that. Uh, Because trust as a feeling is one thing. uh, But trust as a, a step of faith is something different. Rather than it being a feeling that you either have or you don't have based on your past experiences, when it comes to trusting God, sometimes you do go with God because your heart says this is right. But what we're going to see this morning is that trust, which is present in a person who is growing in faith, is a decision of the will rather than simply a feeling of the heart. So that with trusting God, it's not just, well, yes, I can trust God. It is, I will trust God. Because sometimes, this is what I want you to see this morning, sometimes the thing God calls us to is so frightening and so intimidating that our hearts will tell us, you can't do it and you shouldn't do it. And trusting God means you do it anyway. Do you hear me? Okay, let me try to picture this for you. Imagine a benevolent father is going on a pathway with a beloved child. And as they move forward, they come to a fork in the road. And the father knows that the best thing for the child is turn to the left. The child, at this fork in the road, thinks to himself, left is the right way to go. Now, when the father says, you must turn left, at that moment, the child doesn't actually require any trust at all to go where the father says, because his heart would have led him in that way anyway. Do you see it? That's how we often think of trust. It's the thing that our heart tells us. Imagine now they're further down the road, and now again the child thinks left is definitely the right way to go. To the right, that's far too scary. I can't manage that. And imagine the father says, here, you are turning right. It's the best thing for you. And that child doesn't feel that turning to the right is the best thing. This is is a moment where the question of trust, in the way that we're using it, where the question of trust arises. It's not, can that child feel like going to the right is the right way? No, the child can't. The question is, will that child trust the father? And that's a question of which way will that child walk, to the left or to the right? Do you see it? Now here, you, every one of you, and I can say this about the people who I know and I care about, and the people who I've never met, You walk through life on a path that has lots of different options, don't you? And your heart is going to tell you frequently, go that way and not that way. And sometimes your heart will be right. But when life becomes especially pressing or difficult, when it's challenging, then the question of faith is a question of whether you're going to go with your heart or you're going to follow the way that God, who has your best interest at heart, tells you to go. And that's a question of trust. We're gonna learn this from a character in the Old Testament named Gideon. Some of you know his story already, some of you might not. Let me give you the situation for Gideon. Gideon grew up in a time where he was backed into a corner because of the pressure that the world around him was putting on him. And in that corner, he was constantly stressed, anxious all the time, and it was affecting every part of his life. Can anyone in here relate? Now, if you can't relate... Because life is so good for you. Please listen to me. You must take to heart what you hear in, in this place because someone you know and care about is backed into a corner right now because of what the world is like and they need you to carry this message to them. Would you agree to that if you're doing fine right now? Okay, good. You can't say, yes, I'm backed into a corner and yes to the second question. It, it doesn't work, one or the other. So right? either you're, you're the one who's stressed or you're the one who's gonna help someone else's stress. But can we all be together in this? Yeah. Okay, Gideon was backed into a corner because of the Midianites. Gideon was a part of the people of God, the Israelites. And the Midianites were these enemies who for seven years continuously had oppressed the Israelites by coming every time they planted the crops, the Midianites would come and destroy everything they planted. When they began to cultivate their livestock, the Midianites would steal their animals, they would destroy their homes, so the people of Israel were literally driven into hiding in the hills living in caves. That's what life was like for them. And what happens in this situation, which is not how God wants it, is God is going to change it through the trust of one man, Gideon. He is going to change the mess in the world, God is, when one guy, Gideon, chooses to trust him. Now, I want you to get this. God wants you to be one of the people who changes the mess that this world is in right now. The only way you will do that is if you trust him. Are you hearing me? This church altogether, every church, every gathering of people who are trying their best to follow the way of the master Jesus will only become the instrument of God's changing the mess when they choose to trust him. And trust is not the feeling that you either have or not. That's something different. Trust is the decision that you make either to go with what the Father says or not. Now, in this story of Gideon, we're going to meet him when he is in a particularly challenging place because of the Midianites. And what we're going to see is four different moments, four, where he is invited by God to trust. And and at each one of these, we're going to stop, and I'm going to show you how it challenges you to trust and, and four is more than normal. It's supposed to be three. So I'm going to talk two-thirds faster than normal today. All right? <laughs> Let's get right into it, okay? In chapter 6 of the book of Judges, we meet Gideon, and his story opens in verse 11 like this. Here's the setting. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son... Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The scene begins with a messenger from God, a divine messenger, is sitting in a field beside an oak tree. And in this setting... That messenger should look out onto the threshing floor, which is a flat piece of land wide out in the open, and that's where the wheat should be beat out. It should be struck with a threshing rod so that the husks are separated from the kernels and then tossed into the air so the wind can blow away the waste. But in this moment, Gideon, who is responsible for threshing the wheat, he's not out on the threshing floor, he's in the wine press. That's a big circular pit that's dug in the ground and surrounded by stone, a place where there is no wind. Also a place where the Midianites can't see him. And in this moment, he has been driven by his fear and his anxiety of the pressures around him to to go ahead with an ordinary task, his work, in an extraordinarily unhelpful kind of way. The pressure of life has ruined his work. Can you relate to that? The angel, the messenger, leaves the oak tree to go and speak with Gideon. This is verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Hold on a minute. Does anyone look less like a mighty warrior than the man who is threshing wheat out in a pit in the ground because he's afraid of his enemies? Can you imagine what it would sound like in this moment to be addressed in that manner by a messenger he would never met? You might think the person was being sarcastic, but no, that's not what's happening. Here, this divine messenger is challenging Gideon immediately to trust. To trust whether he's going to understand himself based on what he can see and what he feels in his heart, or whether he's going to be open to the possibility that he's a lot stronger than he's actually yet dreamed. And someone who's outside of him can see the strength that he can't yet see. Do you see that? And not only that, in this moment, the messenger also announces to him that God is with you. I would guess that in this moment, the last thing that would be on Gideon's mind, as he's been oppressed, get this, by an enemy of God's people for seven years straight, that God was anywhere in the neighborhood. I'm going to ask you this now. And I want some kind of response. If you're a person of faith and you've lived through a season where it feels like God is absent, would you let me know? Has that happened to anybody? Yeah. Has it ever been seven full years? Yeah. If it goes longer than that, then you'll have to refer to the person of Abraham. For him, it was many more years than that. It was decades. But here in this moment, we see a person of faith whose circumstances have not only made him think that he has no power at all in himself, but also he's begun to believe that maybe God must not be there. And the angel says, the Lord is with you. Watch how Gideon responds. This is verse 13. Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. Have you ever looked at the world around you and said, I know the explanation. God must have forgotten about us. If there is a God, he's cast us off. Where, after all, are all of the good things that I hear people of faith talking about? I go to church, I listen to that enthusiastic pastor preach, and sometimes he even cries and wipes his nose. But I don't see any of those things happening in my life. I've heard uh, the stories of what God did in the past, but why don't I see anything with my own eyes? Have you felt that ever? You know that twice this week, twice, different folks have sat in my office with me and said, if God is here, why don't I see it? And the interpretation that Gideon has given in this moment is the reason I don't see it is God's abandoned us. And that's what he's feeling in this moment. Again, this is an instance where he is going to be invited to trust. And you, you, every one of you are here in some measure to be invited, not by me, but by God to a deeper sense of trust maybe than you've ever grasped. Look at how the heavenly messenger responds to Gideon's question, but where is God after all? This is verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you. Do you see what's happened here? First of all, it's not just a heavenly messenger anymore. Notice it's the Lord said to him. It's God himself there with Gideon. And instead of engaging in a discussion about his doubts... He just skips over that and he doesn't give him an answer. Instead, he gives him a commission, which is he looks at him and he says, you are going to be the one who undoes the mess that's ruining your life right now. And not only yours, but all of these people around you. And you are gonna go in the strength which you actually have. You don't believe it. You don't feel it at all. You look at yourself and you think, I don't have it, but I know because I'm God and I made you. You have plenty of strength and you're gonna go in this strength and you are going to make things right. Does that inspire you? It didn't work for Gideon at all. Maybe the angel wasn't as like in earnest as I've been right here. Watch this. He responded. This is verse 15. He responded, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Clan is his family. He looks at his family and all the people around him and he tells God they're a bunch of losers. You felt that sometimes looking at the people around you, haven't you? You can admit it, even if you're sitting next to them right now. They felt the same about you. And he adds, and this is a sign of true humility. And I am the least in my family. And here, we must take Gideon at his word. When this man looks at himself, in the presence of God, he says, hopeless, utterly powerless, I'm the weakest person I know. Do you know that there are some people of faith who believe that they're stronger than everybody around them and they are confident and they, 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 everything for them is a victory? But I'll tell you this as a pastor. Many of you, and you think you're the only person who feels like this, you look at yourself and you say, I'm the weakest person I know. If you've never felt that, and you try to walk in faith behind Jesus, I promise you that at some point, your self-assessment will be just like Gideon's. How could anything come of me? I'm so weak. If you've never felt that, I, I promise you, you will. That's what Gideon feels in this moment when he is told by the angel that you are going to be the one that God uses to overcome this impossible problem. Look at how the Lord responds to him. This is verse 16. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike down the Midianites, every one of them. And here this amounts to a correction of vision. The Lord tells him in essence, stop looking at yourself, stop looking at all the people around you, and look at me instead. Because when you see the Lord, who you see is the one who has all the power that's required and who has the commitment to you that will enable you to walk forward so long as you're trusting him into whichever battle he calls you into in order to become his instrument in overcoming the mess that this world is in right now. Would you open your heart to the possibility that you are here this morning to listen with your heart open to God's statement to you, which is I am with you so that you can move out of this place where you're trapped into the freedom that I have for you and the part that I want you to play in my mission. Would you be open to that or not? Okay, you didn't answer strong enough, so I'm going to keep going on this one. When I look at you, what I see is a gathering of people who are commissioned by God Almighty to play a part in God's mission in the world and some of you know it, and the only difference between those of you who know it and believe it and those of you who would never believe it is that second group of you hasn't been awakened to the truth yet, which is you also are commissioned by God to have a hand in his mission. I do not look at this church and think, well, I'm the guy who does ministry and everybody else receives what I do. Absolutely not. I look at you. You are the players in the game. You're the only ones who can go out on the field. I can't. When I go out into the world, people expect me to have faith because it's my job. Oh, you're a pastor. Of course you believe that and act like that. No, you are invited to be God's workers in the world. The only way you'll have your part in what he calls you to is when you have trust. And that's what God is inviting you to right now. What is the thing that traps you? Will you let that come to mind for a moment? Here we're gonna start our four pictures of what Gideon is invited to entrust because in Gideon's case, you remember where he is? When this whole thing happens, where is he? Help me out. In In the wine press. And so for him, the first practical step of trusting God is not what he feels because he feels like staying in there because he's terrified. The first step for him is to get out of the wine press. And the first step for you right now is whatever wine press has you cowering in fear. You need to get out of it. God wants you to, and I don't know what it is. You know better than me. You don't know as well as God knows, but just as that heavenly messenger came to Gideon in his cowering fear, God comes to you right now, and he says to you, get out of that wine press. It's time for you to get out of it. If you don't get out of it, then You are always forever going to be cowering in fear because of that enemy there. But your invitation is to get out of the wine press. Maybe you're a young person who lives in an environment where your faith is very unpopular. I think about this when I think of my own children or the the young people that I know, the world that they're in, in right now, oh, it is no friend to the Christian faith that has a sort of ethic that's strong and a sense that it's not just up to everybody to decide what's right, but there is a good and there is a not good. Man, when you're a kid in that environment, it is, there's so much pressure to just hide and pretend that you think like everybody else. Will you come out of that wine press? The world needs you to. For us adults, we just become more clever at, at crafting masks for ourselves. Would we admit that in front of the young people in this room? Come on, you can do better than that. Yeah, we will pretend at work. We'll wear a mask. We'll act this way because that peer group there, we've let them tell us what we're worth. Maybe it's an incessant drive to have more possessions, to possess the praise of others or more money or things, and we go and we go and we go, and we're away from the good things, but we we just press ourselves down into the wine press because the world's taught us. Maybe it's some foolish distraction that keeps you from ever engaging in the good work in the world. You watch that same television show again. Anybody else? It could be an addiction. The first invitation of trust from God himself to you is get out of the wine press. Take the mask off. Be honest about what you believe. Stop watching. Tell someone that you're struggling with an addiction. Step out of the wine press. Gideon does that. Gets out of the wine press and that positions him in relationship to God for a second moment where he can trust or not. Not feeling but an action and and we see the beginning of it in verse 17 this is what happens then this is after getting it out then he said to him if now i have found favor with you then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me do you see what he's done he's asked for a divine sign has anyone in here ever done that Yeah, I've done that too. I've tried not to do that often because uh, the, the community I grew up in, that was sort of, you know, you don't do that. We were Presbyterians. You sat up straight and kept quiet. But as I've grown up, sometimes I've had to do that, to ask God to help me see something. You've done it, some of you. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, show me something that will help me see that you are, in fact, trustworthy. He leaves that initial meeting and he goes back to his home, Gideon, because he wants to bring a gift to this messenger. There's something in him that says, this guy's worth spending some more time with. He brings back meat and bread. The messenger says, you put that there on the rock and then he turns his staff toward the food and he roasts it with fire from the tip of the staff. How about that? It's a pretty good sign, isn't it? I imagine it was like lamb or a gyro. and mm. It's so good that Gideon takes courage, and that night he goes out into the wilderness and he finds all of the temples and the altars that were built to the foreign gods by the Midianites and he tears them to pieces. And there's a couple other people who see him doing this and like, that guy's got something. And so a crowd starts to gather with him and now momentum starts to build and there's confidence because God showed him a sign and he trusted, but then as it becomes more popular, he becomes more nervous. And so what does he do? He goes back to God and he says, I'm not sure I believe anymore. Can you give me another sign? Has anyone ever done that? Yes. Yeah, another time I'm going to tell you some of my sign stories. It's pretty ridiculous how easy it is to not read the signs that God's giving. Gideon says to him, I have this fleece, this wool blanket. How about this, God? I'll go to sleep tonight on the threshing floor. When I wake up in the morning, would you make it so there's no do-it-all on the floor but the fleece? has dew on it. If you do that, then I'll believe in you. He wakes up in the morning, the floor is dry, he grabs the fleece, he wrings it out, it fills an entire bowl with water. And what does Gideon say? Can we try to reverse it tonight? I'm still not sure. And God does. The next morning he wakes up, the, the ground is wet, the fleece is dry. What has to happen in this second moment for Gideon to trust is that he has to make a choice. Again, not a feeling. He has to make a choice to accept God's signs to let his eyes see what God is actually putting right there before him. And that's a choice that he has to make. I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, you know, I think I would have more faith, but if only God would give me some kind of sign, and then you go forward and you don't see much. Has that happened to anybody here? Be honest. If it's happened to you, raise your hand. All right, I'm going to tell you right now, here's a sign for you. You did not know what I was going to talk about this morning. And here you've come into this room, and you... You've maybe talked to one or two people about it but you have been languishing in a wine press of your own. And you've been wondering how am I going to get out of here? And and how will I ever make it? And will I have any and you look at yourself you think I am so weak. And now the pastor gets up and starts talking and you're thinking is this guy in my head? How is he that's not me? That, my dear friends, you should take it as a sign that God knows exactly where you are right now and his attention has been directed to you all along and his will for you is to be freed so that you can move forward. That's what God wants for you and you should take this as a sign of that. Would you do that? Yeah, okay, good. How about this one? Raise your hand in here right now if you're in a place that is challenging and you know you should move forward, but it's difficult. Would you mind raising your hand and not be? Okay, I want all of you to take every hand that went up as a sign that you are not alone in it. That's another sign that you benefit from when you come in person together with God's people. We are in this together. There's proof here. Do you see it? Take that as a divine sign that you have others with you on this journey. Here's another sign. It's right here. This book, is God's word for you to, so that God himself will reveal his love and his care and his concern for you, his knowledge of just where you are. If you think, well, I've tried to read it before, it's difficult. Here, read the book of Matthew, and you'll hear Jesus teaching. You get to the fifth, sixth chapter of that book, and you're going to start saying, my goodness, it's as if God is speaking to me through these words. And if, you, if you'll do this, then again, what you must say to yourself in that moment is, it's time for me to take this second step of trust, to accept the signs. Where is God showing himself to you now? T- ask this. And how do you need to turn your eyes toward that and just accept, okay, this is a sign? Not so you feel a sudden burst of confidence, no, but so you choose to trust that God knows where you are, loves you, and is calling you forward. You let that come to mind for a moment. (sighs) Sorry about that. (laughs) This is emotions. I get it from my mom. (laughs) My mom cries at TV commercials. (laughs) Third step of trust, okay? Third step of trust. He accepts the sign. He goes back and starts gathering fighters to join him in this battle, and it works, It works better than he would have guessed. It goes from a few dozen guys, a few hundred, a few thousand, 32,000 men join up with Gideon to say enough is enough, we're in this battle with him against this enemy of God's people. We're gonna make this happen. The, the gathering meets all together at the base of a hillside on the other side of that hill. That's where the enemies are. And that's where we meet the third moment where God challenges Gideon to an act of trust. Judges chapter seven, we go forward a little bit. Verse one, here's what it says. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon. You can tell why he goes by Gideon, Jerubabal. That's, that's a... And all the troops that were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Murah in the valley. Here are 32,000 fighters, a hill, and on the other side of that hill are the enemy. But the enemy don't know that all of these troops are gathered there. Now, can you imagine if you were one of those 32,000 feeling confident at this point? Yeah? I would, right? I'm surrounded by all of these, but this third step of trust shows us that that is actually exactly the problem. Watch what happens, verse two. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take the credit away from me saying my own hand has delivered me. Now if you would expect God to say anything you would think he would say you don't have enough troops for me to give Midian into your hand but it's the opposite and the reason is there in the last thing that God says which is the worst possible outcome from God's perspective here, is that these troops would think that they won because of how strong they were, and instead, the best possible outcome for Gideon and everyone else there would be to know the truth that every battle that God calls us into is won or not only because of God's strength and never because of our strength. And here's why I'm telling you this, because you are going to face battles if you choose to follow God, and you will never have enough strength on your own for any of them. Does that sound discouraging to you? It's not. It's not discouraging for only one reason, because the battles that God calls us into are the battles where we must learn to trust him, and what that will require for Gideon is to rely on God's power. I tell you this, when I sit with folks as a pastor and they open up the the challenges to me that they're facing, inevitably it gets to the point where they say, Christian, I don't have enough strength for this, I can't do it. It happens every other time that I listen to someone. I would say that half of the conversations I have, if I listen well enough, it gets there. And I say, when I'm speaking the truth, of course you don't. I don't have the power I don't. Gideon and all of those troops, God says to them, it's too many. The sun is starting to go down. God says to Gideon, tell you what, you get up in front of those 32,000 and you tell them, anyone who's feeling afraid, who's thinking about home, who's missing their children, who'd rather be relaxing and, and eating a dinner with loved ones, you're free to go. You don't have to come into the battle. Twenty. 2,000 troops get up and leave. Can you imagine if you're a Gideon then? That's a huge reduction in force. 10,000 are left. The sun's getting even lower. Now God says, okay, still too many. Go to the river and ask those men to drink. Every soldier that bends down and scoops up water from the river in his hands like this, you dismiss them. We only want the ones who jam their face right in the river and just suck it up. It's true. 9,700 men drink like this, leaving Gideon with 300. Can you picture that? God challenged Gideon in that way because he wanted Gideon to learn to rely on God's power. And the truth for you and for me is that the battles that are before us, the ways in which the world is not right, before you individually, whatever it is for you personally, if you are going to wage that battle in faith, now, I'm talking about a battle in faith. I'm not talking about the battle that you decided to stir up. That's nothing to do with what we're talking about. But if you are called to the right thing and that battle before you, it, it, it intimidates you, it should. You don't have the strength for it. God himself does. And you need to know that because you are going to be tempted to take up the wrong kinds of weapons in the fight that is before you. And that's what God saw with Gideon. He saw a man taking up the kinds of weapons that the enemy were going to use. And God didn't want that to happen. And you know the greatest temptation for me and for you right now if you are a person of faith in the United States of America in 2022 the enemy that's all around us that makes us feel afraid to be honest about our faith that makes us feel like we shouldn't own our convictions and act on them that enemy is using a weapon against us that we also are going to be tempted to take up in our response and if we do then we will not be relying on God's power do you know what the enemy's greatest weapon right now is that, that's being turned against us it's, it's division would you think about this for a minute have you ever lived through a time where you were more suspicious of that person who you think maybe is on that other side than the one we live in right now yes or no I never have lived through a time like this. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've never seen a time where people are more anxious and and trepidatious about what do they think, which side are they on, and that is the enemy's weapon. Jesus does not call people to divide up. He unites them in the spirit. He calls them to lay down Hatred, so they can pick up love. He calls them to put down disdain so they can pray for their enemies. He says, no more shutting the door on that other person who's different from you. You open the door, you sit down at the table with them. If you wanna sit at the same table as Jesus, you have to let him welcome the people around you. And so the only way for you and me, and this church to be relying on God's power in the battle that we're in right now is to use the weapons of Jesus. And those are the weapons of love, grace, kindness, benevolence, peace, joy, patience, understanding, goodness. Can you use those? Yes or no? With the power that God supplies, you can. And listen, it will mean the disarmament you'll have to let go of those other weapons like Gideon had to let go of all of those. The last step of trust for Gideon comes as night falls with him and the other 300. Look at verse 9 in chapter 7. That same night, the Lord said to him, get up, attack the camp, for I have given it into your hand. After coming out of the wine press, after trusting the signs, After learning to rely on God's power, there's still one more step, and it is that he has to go into the battle. And I promise you that if he is going to go with his heart, he will run. If he has to go with what he feels like, there's no way he's going. The only way he's going to go in is if he chooses trust. Not the feeling, but the decision, the act of the will all together to move forward with this few. And I'm telling you, if you've been inspired this morning to think of some battle that God's calling you into, you don't have the strength. The closer you get to going there, the harder it's gonna be because you're gonna be afraid. But in that battle, trust me now, you don't have to fight with your strength. It's not enough. And you don't need to use the enemy's weapon. Picture this, the 300 of them as all the other troops have left behind, the three, 300 of them only have two things that are worthwhile. They have the lamps that each one of the heads of, of, of the battalions that have now gone away, they have the lamps that those men have left behind and the shofars that they've left behind. You know what a shofar is? It's the horn that you put here and like that. It's a little louder than that, but I'm not going to do it. It'd hurt your ears. Those are often held by the head of a battalion, but now all the battalions are gone, and so what Gideon does is he distributes to each man a jar and a shofar. And quietly they go in under the cover of night into the enemy encampment, and all at once... They break the jars, revealing the light, and they blow their horns, making it sound to the enemy like there is an enormous army and battalion that suddenly come upon them. And in their shock and dismay, the Midianites grab their swords and they spring to it and they start to fight. And what they don't know is that in the darkness, the Midianites are killing the Midianites. And none of God's people have to kill anyone Because the enemy destroys the enemy. And in this moment, we see that the invitation that is ours from the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the one whose greatest strength is love, he invites us to engage in a battle where we don't need to kill anybody at all. We can just step back because the heart of the Christian message is a story where the greatest enemy kills the greatest enemy. Think about this. When Jesus Christ came, it was to defeat the oppressor of all mankind. And you might know this already, and you might not. The thing which plagues you all the time. It's not how annoying that other person is. Yeah, they're probably pretty bad. You're just like they are to them. It's not all of the politics around us, though that's miserable. It's not another terrible news story. Even though those things are wicked, the thing deep down at the root of all of it is sin, the power of sin and death. And what God does in Christ is he comes as this powerful prince of peace in Jesus to overcome that enemy. And the way he does it is by letting the power of evil appear to have the victory over Jesus in the crucifixion. And what happens three days later is it becomes apparent that evil has defeated itself when it took Jesus' life because, listen now, hate is strong. It's not even close to the power of love. And the truth about every enemy is that its days are numbered. And the truth about you is you are invited by God to rely on his power, to accept the signs that he gives you, to step out of whatever wine press that you are in so that you can go into the battle that you will wage with the weapons that are uniquely ours as followers of Christ and in trust become the agents that he uses to change the mess that's all around us and when we do it, to rejoice, not in our strength or in our power, but in the power of our maker, which is perfect. Amen? What do you say? Shall we pray? Let's do that. God, we thank you so much for the great and moving story of Gideon. We thank you that he was weak and yet you invited him and then empowered him to be strong in a battle that needed to be waged. I pray for each and every person in this room, for the young and the old, for every one of us to have our hearts open now to the places where you're calling us to trust you in action so that we are free to step out of the places where we're trapped and believe what you say about us, that even as we look at ourselves and say, I am weak, you look at us and tell us that we are mighty in your strength. And with that confidence that comes from trusting you, I pray that we would do the things that you called us to and the world would benefit from it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.